Welcome to Today on Broadway for Wednesday, July 8th, 2020. I'm Broadway World's Matt Tamanini. And I'm arts and culture writer Ashley Steves. Ashley, how are George and Dot? Oh, they're always lovely. Yeah, that was a necessary watch for me yesterday. You mentioned it, and then I, I, I got on board. Though I didn't watch it on Broadway HD, I have to say. Uh, do I want to ask where you watched it? <laughs> it is on YouTube. So, oh, okay. It is right. expl- I- it is explicitly on YouTube too. It's not even like hidden. And so you you Google it, and it's there. Okay. I think I had the DVD at one point, so I probably do. It's probably in a box somewhere. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So. I had the DVD of that, and I had the DVD of Into the Woods. Yeah. And I have no idea where either of them went to, but I know I used to, more or less, I mean, I had the DVD of Into the Woods, but that was, like, the first thing that I really became shocking, obsessed with at, like, the public library <laughs> and took out the VHS for it every single opportunity I could. So Yeah, there is. Spot the liar. <laughs> Where's the lie there? Yeah, so. Exactly. All right. So, of course, I have to mention, uh, if you would like to be a part of our Patreon family and get things uh, in that feed before you can hear them in the regular feed, head over to patreon.com slash broadwayradio, broadwayradio.com slash patreon. And, of course, you can also join in on this week on Broadway and either just listen live or participate by sending questions. Um, that's also something that they've got going on there. So head over there and uh, join in the fun at the Patreon. All right, Ashley, let's get into today's news. On Monday in his daily press conference, New York Governor Andrew Cuomo expressed concern for the arts and culture industries, specifically in New York City, and how they would survive and rebound from coronavirus-mandated shutdowns. He said in part, quote, You have businesses that can't fully reopen. That is an economic problem for the city. You have to get restaurants up and running. You have to get concert halls up and running. What makes New York City New York City? The arts, the culture. When we'll get that up and running, I don't know. Actually, yesterday on the show, I talked about the incredible investment that the UK government is making in its arts and culture sector. And while I have zero illusions that our federal government will do anything Uh, similar to that, it is within the power of individual states, including New York, and even cities to make similar but appropriately sized investments in their community. And I know we talk about this a lot, Ashley, so I don't want to mm-hmm. beat a dead horse. But as the arts, and specifically the performing arts, will almost certainly be the last businesses to return as things open up, if politicians are going to talk about how concerned they are about the yep. arts and the artists yep. and their constituencies – they need to step up and put some money where their mouth is. That's also the thing, like, as you said, not to beat a dead horse about that, but also to talk about how much money the arts bring in, specifically the performing arts bring into New York State. To Obviously, you know, there's extra concern now from politicians, but there's always been... I wouldn't say little interest or concern when things are going well, but it's never a priority to fund the arts for politicians. So it's a little bit of like, there there haven't been any promises made here. And even if they were to start making promises, especially Cuomo, uh, it, they would feel very, very empty to me. Yeah, it's, uh, it, they always say that you, 
you communicate your priorities through your budget as a politician. Exactly. And, exactly. And I don't see a whole lot of politicians nationally or even in New York making the arts the priority that I think it should be. Now, I'm not saying you do exactly. that before you fund schools or social welfare no, systems. No, sure, but they do go hand in hand. And in many, many aspects, uh, comparable and equitable. So, as you said, the budget is what really shows their interest. And, well, look (laughs) at that. (laughs) Well, in related news, yesterday the Broadway Journal reported that Broadway producer Jeffrey Sellers' company received a Paycheck Protection Program, PPP, loan of between $150,000 and $350,000. It then goes on to talk about how much money Sellers has made as one of the uh, three, just three producers on Hamilton alone, not to mention his other Broadway hits dating back to Rent. The article also notes that the Weisler's company received between $350,000 and $1 million, that the Roundabout Theater Company received between five and $10 million, and Lincoln Center Theater received between two and $5 million, the latter two we had actually previously talked about. Yeah. Um, in previous shows. Now, this is the same publication that previously reported about the public receiving a loan as well and also talked about how they were making money off of Hamilton. So, I, you know, actually, I understand that there is always going to be concern when individuals and companies that on the outside mm-hmm. seem to be writing high take government assistance, you know, but – Trying to shame four or five arts organizations when there are literal multi-billion-dollar corporations with direct ties to the White House <laughs> yep. and and yep. other Republican members of Congress receiving unbelievably large loans just feels like someone trying to pick fights mm-hmm. for personal reasons, perhaps for nothing more than clicks. But the fact that he's now written two stories, one specifically calling out the public and its connections to Hamilton, and one specifically calling out Jeffrey Sellers, uh, Jeffrey Seller and his connection to Hamilton. It just feels like, what's the point here, dude? Like, I don't most, really know. most theater production companies are small businesses. And while, yeah. and, and, and not for profit companies are, they might have huge budgets, but they are generally small businesses, especially during pandemics when mm-hmm. all of their donations are probably going to dry up. So, like, I, yes, I don't want this money to be spent frivolously and given to organizations sure, that don't need it. Of course but, like, not. you know, like, Pick your fights, man. Yeah. I mean, as you said, most theater companies are small businesses and that means that – or small ventures and that means they may or may not have a success a la Hamilton where they hit it so big that they don't know what to do with it, their money for the rest of their lives. But it, any funding for any arts ventures is good news to me. So to yeah. have – to, uh, you know, <laughs> Jeffrey Seller doesn't necessarily need more money, but someone is getting funding, at least at this point. Yeah. I mean, in $150,000 to $350,000, I don't know how many employees it's that not, paid. Yeah, it's not a ton. It's not a huge no. amount of money. But I mean, it, generally. Yeah. But Jeffrey Sellers might not need it. But look, I also blame the government and how they rolled this out. They did not do a very good job of determining of which organizations actually deserved it and which didn't. And they have not done a very good job of, of helping the, the the small businesses who legitimately needed it and could, could have saved them from going out of business. They're 
thousands of those businesses that are going to go out of business because the government screwed up. And maybe these, exactly. maybe Jeffrey that's Seller a, shouldn't have applied for it in the first place. But like, of course, you're, yeah, you're, that's you're, a that's a that's a very big bit of it. I mean, again, Jeffrey Seller doesn't need the money. But I don't but know that they, he doesn't need just, the money. You know, like that's what I mean. Sure. It's like I don't I don't balance his books. I mean, and yes, Hamilton's huge, <laughs> yeah. but. That's the thing about producer Broadway producers too is that for every hit that they have, and, and Jeffrey Seller has had a, his share of hits, they also generally have like ten flops. And while very, they very might true. not balance out, this is you can make more money with a flop than with a hit. I've heard that somewhere before, uh, but I mean, it's just like <laughs> I don't know where the money is going, and it might be paying back investors from previous. Th- I don't, you know, I don't. What do I know? I'm an idiot. I don't know think about money, but it just seems like why is this the biggest issue? Talk about the right. You know, the things, you know, Kushner having th- – Jared Kushner's family getting three different – having three different companies getting loans. Like, I, I don't course. care about Jeffrey Seller or Roundabout or the Weisslers getting this stuff at all. Truly not. Truly not. All right. Finally, in this COVID-related section, Ashley, on Monday, a petition was started by fans to convince the Schubert organization to rename the Long Acre Theater in memory of Nick Cordero. The petition reads, quote, A Bronx Tale, the musical, was the last Broadway show Nick Cordero starred in. This musical set a record as the longest-running musical in Long Acre history. With the passing of this incredibly talented and beloved Broadway star, it is the perfect memory for him and his family legacy to assure his name will always be in lights in the Broadway community. Now, for a little background, uh, the Long Acre Theater is named after Long Acre Square, which is actually the original name of Times Square. Times Square, yep. yep, Um, yep. And it was uh, first owned in 1913, and saved for a few years in the 40s and 50s when it served as a TV and radio studio, it has been a Broadway house ever since. At just under 1,100 seats, there have been a number of plays that have actually run longer than A Bronx Tale did, but no other musicals because 1,100 seats is kind of on that line whether it's going to be a musical or a playhouse also actually the long acre should be in my opinion your favorite theater do you know why oh i do because it's by the same person who sold babe ruth to the yankees that is correct (laughs) Uh, it was owned by (laughs) oh i know that's one of my favorite theater facts don't worry yeah uh harry frazy was the owner of the boston red sox and he was bleeding money uh because he was trying to become a theater impresario and he sold babe ruth's contract from the Red Sox he, to the Yankees. And he already he already had the theater. He was just trying to do more ventures yeah. and needed the money. So yeah. what better what <laughs> better decision could you make? Yep. And that might be why uh, the Bronx uh, a Bronx Tale is the longest running musical in that theater's Ooh, house. It's been cursed yes. ever since. But anyway, <laughs> actually I am not one who is precious about the naming of theaters. I think their names No, not at all. I they're not something that's sacred and forever to me. Just like I'm on the record as saying like I'm not super you know, precious about the Broadway League or the Council of Theaters owners or whatever, sure, being sure. super particular about the dimming of lights. I practically think that any member of the community who passes away should have the lights dim for them. So I'm fine mm-hmm. with the Schubert's renaming the theater. Uh, you know, people will question, well, is Nick Cordero big enough for this? Like, to me, if they did this, I think it would not only serve as a reminder of Nick, but of everything that the community has gone through during this unparalleled year-long shutdown. Exactly and so that. it would be more yes. of a recognition of that and Nick being kind of a figurehead of that, um, obviously because he does have a connection to the theater. So mm-hmm. while this type of thing doesn't normally move me one way or the other, like these type of petitions and these type of renaming things, like, yeah, I'm, I'm sure. fine either way. Um, 
but yeah, I, I'm good with this. I'm I would sure. be very happy with this. Yeah, I almost always would prefer. I, I like when theaters are renamed after people, and I think, as you said, the fact, unfortunately, the fact that Nick is going to be a figurehead for this a horrible, horrible year, uh, year plus probably. I, you know, that is certainly one way to honor him. And I've seen, you know, Amanda be very on board with that, obviously, as well. She was sharing it on her Instagram on Tuesday. So why not? I, there's, there's really no reason yeah, to cares? keep the name. Cause again, as you said, it was, uh, the old name of Times Square. And that was even named after, you know, a part of London. So there's no real connection to that anymore as far as new or old New York. So yeah. why not do something that even if it's just on paper has some level of significance to it? Yeah. And I have always been, um, somebody who I think that when you name theaters after people, I'm sorry, this is, might hurt you, Ashley, but I don't think they wow. should be named after like writers or big stars. Pretty rude. Like, so, Pretty rude. I, I, I mean, I, the Sondheim I, I, or whatever. I see the, I see the personal attack here. <laughs> yeah. Well, I just feel like, yes, maybe Sondheim, maybe uh, Richard Rogers. Why there isn't an Oscar Hammerstein the second one, I don't True. know. But like, the, I think they should be named for people whose names otherwise won't be remembered. They should be named after directors or producers or designers or for actors who That's weren't the Tony fair. winning. That's very st- fair. You know, so like no one's ever going to forget Stephen Sondheim's name. Damn in terms right. Of musical theater. One of the there's probably going to be a theater, I would imagine, in the next year or so renamed to the Harold Prince Theater. No yeah. one's, you know, you know, I think that's one where no one's necessarily in 50 years. We're not going to be doing Harold Prince's, you know, Fiddler on the Roof or whatever, because he didn't write it. So, yes, he's a producer and a director. So that one makes more sense to me. But someone like Nick Cordero, who is not Audra McDonald level, you know, important in the history of theater, but somebody who serves as a really important figure and for an unbelievably dire moment like sure why not all right so let's move on actually into our one story hamill section for today on tuesday variety reported that hamilton generated a substantial spike in downloads for the disney plus app from friday through sunday the app was downloaded 752,451 times globally with 458,796 of those coming within the u.s In America, those downloads were up 74% over the average of the four weekends in June. Worldwide downloads were up 46.6% over that same uh, average of whatever months or whatever weekends they were in the month of June. Now, keep in mind that since Disney, like Netflix, is a streaming service, we don't get Nielsen ratings for their programming. So we won't get any, you know, neutral arbitrator telling us how many times Hamilton was streamed. So Disney Plus will likely send out a press release with their own data at some point in the next week or so, but it is not independently verifiable like Nielsen would do with network or broadcast stuff. So these download numbers, which are trackable, um, might be the closest thing that we get to ratings. But either way, whatever Disney Plus says... Uh, it's probably going to be good, just like these downloads. I was going to say, uh, that's a substantial amount of people, regardless whether you're seeing it as ratings or downloads. So obviously, uh, people came in for the Hamilton. But I will remind you that they paid $75 million. Look, it was, uh, it was a little bit of money. It was a wee bit of yeah. money. <laughs> so, so because I'm terrible at math, I pulled out my calculator. Okay. That means that they will need 
at at the rate of six ninety nine will need slightly over ten point seven million months to be paid for specifically for to justify Hamilton's investment. Now that doesn't mean that they needed to have ten point seven million people join the service because that would just be if they did it for one month and right. canceled. So if they stay for a year, you know, that's down, you know, to, I don't know. I suck at math. Mm-hmm. Here we go. Here we 10, go. 10, 7, da, 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 divided by 12. That would need to be, I, don't, I can't read it. It doesn't matter. Um, but, you know. <laughs> we're so, not a math podcast. We're not math people. I, mean, I haven't done grosses in four months or whatever, so I have not thought about numbers since. <laughs> but, I mean, it's, it is interesting to see that, like, you know, this stuff was downloaded you know, 750,000 times this past weekend, that's a decent amount, but they still got a long way to go to make their, back their investment. I think I think they might be fine. I think they'll be okay. It'll take some time, look, I, but it'll they'll be okay. Look, I've got Disney shares. I just want to oh, make wow, sure I don't okay. lose money So this is, this is really just in self-interest. You're like, everybody, please it's, go download Disney Plus and watch Hamilton 6,000 times. Or, Daddy or needs I will, to retire. Or at some I will point. starve. Yeah, Daddy's got to retire at mm-hmm. some point. So uh, mm-hmm. anyway, all right. So let's get it. These aren't necessarily recommendations, but they are things that I wanted to point out to people before we got out of their way on Wednesday. Um, on Tuesday, Broadway World opened up voting for the 2020 uh, Albums and CDs Awards, recognizing the best releases from 2019 and 2020. You have uh, different categories, including Best Broadway Cast Album, Best Design of a Cast Album, Best UK Cast Album, Best New Concert or Studio Cast Recording, EP, Best Off-Broadway, blah, blah, blah. Our good friend, Robbie Rizel, yes, was nominated. Indeed. So you Congratulations. Can, yeah, you can vote on the 2020 BWW Albums and CDs Awards through the end of the day, New York time on August 6th. So I'll have a link in the show notes if you want to do that. And then finally, uh, it was also announced on Tuesday that uh, Tony-winning creator of, of Hades Town, Aeneas Mitchell, will release a new book working on a song, colon, the lyrics of Hades Town, on October sixth. Mm. In the book, in the book, Mitchell takes readers inside her more than a decade-long process of building the musical from the ground up, detailing her inspiration breaking down the lyrics and opening up the process of creation that gave birth to Hades Town. You can pre-order that already, and I already have. I bet, so, yeah. Yeah, so I jumped on that one. <laughs> that'll so, be, uh, next, I will be, that'll be that. next paycheck for sure for me. Yeah. Yeah, so I will be getting that on August sixth, and it's cheap. It's actually it's uh it's it's just a paperback, so it's not like you know some of the those these books that come. Yeah, the Hamilton with um even uh, Great Comet did one, or it's not like Dear finishing Evan the Hansen. hat. Yeah, oh, yeah, that are like huge, like fifty, sixty bucks. It was a, a nice, cheap seventeen, eighteen bucks, I think. So perfect, but definitely worth it either way. All right, Ashley, that is all that we have for today. Thanks for listening to Today on Broadway. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Broadway Radio. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at BWW. Matt, Ashley, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at No, This is Ashley. All right, everybody, have a wonderful hump day. And we will be back in some form or fashion to talk to you tomorrow. <laughs>